0: Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly.
1: When you rely on the internet for everything, you need speed that can handle anything. Xfinity delivers Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today. Restrictions apply. Gig Wi-Fi requires gig speed and compatible x gateway. Actual speeds vary, not guaranteed.
0: From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine podcast with your hosts,
2: Jim Margulis and Josh
0: Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to Sox Machine Live. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and we are streaming live on Mixler.com slash Sox Machine as the Chicago White Sox and Minnesota Twins just wrapped up their final series of the 2019 season. We'll recap the series focusing on the good as Tim Anderson, Yohan Makata, Aloy Jimenez did very well at the plate. Zach Collins hit a couple of home runs in this series. And even Adam Engel starting to hit the ball a little bit better for the White Sox as they did win one out of three games against the twins. Also Carson Palmer, Carson Fulmer. Wow. Football seasons kicked in the mind. He pitched really well for the White Sox and it might be been the best that we've seen of him. We'll talk about that, and we'll also preview the final road series of 2019 as the White Sox head to Detroit. But first, how are the White Sox going to make it to the finish line and finish the rest of the season as they are losing starting pitchers left and right? Well, to help me answer that question is the co-host of the podcast and managing editor of SoxMachine.com, it's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. The White Sox played the Twins close this series. Maybe they should have taken two out of three. That would have really helped out the Cleveland Indians. Uh, but at least they won one game. So I guess that's a moral victory, right?
2: Yeah. No, I, was, I was all prepared about a couple innings into this game after seeing Jace Fry getting in a little bit of trouble after Nova got in a little bit of trouble and just thinking that the bullpen was going to be hanging on by a thread. And then... Uh, yeah, I had this, this this idea pop in my head that the White Sox are spoilers, but for the uh, team they're not playing. So the Indians are disappointed when they're playing the <laughs> twins and vice versa. But no, they they held on and and you know, they finished the season series, the twins six and thirteen, and it felt like it could have been, you know, given given the luck of the series, you know, maybe it could have been uh, seven and twelve or you know, previous games 8-11, but it also felt like it could have been uh, 16 and three, just given the talent disparity between the teams, especially in terms of power. So you know it, it was respectable, and I think the White Sox are uh, yeah. It, it kind of proves what people say about Rick Renteria when they when they talk about rookies, boys don't quit, and how the team responds to him is just like this is a bad team that's banged up and has really nothing to play for as a team. But you haven't seen, and, and you've never seen at any point in Renteria's tenure like that. Just that week where everybody gives up, um yeah, and we've seen it with other teams like the Pirates are going through it now, and uh, every year there are a couple teams that you know with with the manager in his final uh weeks or an interim manager who's yeah you know, after uh, somebody's already been canned, but they they just are clearly going through the motions and playing for nothing, and the White Sox, as bad as they've been, have never really had that embarrassing effort they've had embarrassing moments just because of lack of talent and and I would say competence on the field,
0: but you can tell they they're they're trying. Yes, they are trying, and the I guess the the clincher for the White Sox winning on Wednesday against the Twins is that the Kansas City Royals lost in walk off fashion at Oakland, one to nothing, and with that loss, the most wins the Royals can have in 2019 is 65. The White Sox. Won their sixty-sixth game on Wednesday night. If and uh, with the win, that means that the Chicago White Sox have clinched third place in the American League Central. Jim, the best finish for the White Sox in the American League Central since Rick Hunt took over as general manager. I totally forgot the champagne. <laughs> I I'm sorry about that, but that is progress. Uh, if you want to look at it in a uh, divisional finish as far as the standings. But there you go. Uh, the white Sox had finished fourth place since 2014 uh, through 2018. So five straight seasons finishing in fourth place. No more. The white Sox are climbing up the ranks in the American league central, but you touched on this Jim, when you were talking about the twins and the season series, as the season series wrapped up, I have two questions from the 19 games that the white Sox have played against the twins this year. And the first one is, and you touched on this a little bit, how far away are the White Sox from seriously challenging Minnesota? Because I have to figure that the Twins, are they're going to win the American League Central this year. But I feel like they have to be the favorite as well going to 2020 just based on their offensive performance in 2019.
2: Well, it... it... I think with the Twins, they're a little bit tricky. It's not like the Indians where they have a whole bunch of young projectable talent, you know, like the the Indians locked it down with uh, Lindor and Ramirez and Kluber and Bauer. And uh, they just had all this talent lined up for years and and a, a cost-controlled core. And with the Twins, they have that, but they also have a lot of help from free agents on one-year contracts, Pineda and Cruz and Crone And, and uh, you know, they, they've gotten a lot of help from, just random guys. Kyle Gibson's going to be a free agent. So they also have some of their own guys who are going to hit free agency. Uh, Bullpen is kind of patched together. So I could see this being a case where they aren't as good next year just because they don't have the kind of luck that they have in free agency. Uh, They basically have more luck in a year than the White Sox have had in the last 15. So yeah, it doesn't feel as solid to me as the Indians' projectability. Uh, but you know, I, I think if they do have a stumble, it's only going to be one year as they recalibrate, uh, and then shore up their, uh, I guess their, their talent shortages, at the major league level with the farm system. That's, that's pretty good and, and, and might be better than the Sox in some regards, uh, depending on where you look, especially, you know, once Robert and Magic will come up. Um, but you know, that it's going to be, uh, it's going to be tough. Especially, you know, if the White Sox don't solve their strike zone issues, I mean, they won today's game with one walk and fourteen strikeouts, and and that's just basically how it's been for most of the second half, most of the season. In fact, just these massive walks and strikeout disparities, and it's really hard to win like
0: that. It's totally sustainable, though.
2: Yeah, some some teams ha- yeah, like some teams have done it, but it's just been freaky good luck with pitching and bullpen lead uh you know uh, i guess lead preservation and 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 taking beatings you know just kind of uh favoring their pythag to where just like they their bad pitching games come when the offense doesn't show up and their good pitching games comes when the offense shows up and just magically balances out for 162 games but it's it's going to be they have a lot of uh internal development and problem solving to do and you know as we've been writing about and talking about and uh, to some people sounding overly negative about it, it's just these, these big structural faults with the White Sox uh, are, I guess, the biggest concern in terms of uh,
0: just how much they
2: can actually expand their ceiling.
0: The second question that I have after the season series between the White Sox and Twins, bringing it back to the present, how do you like the Twins' chances this upcoming postseason? I don't like them just because the American League is so good. It's, it's nothing
2: against the twins themselves, you know, maybe in most years I would feel like they'd have a, a puncher's chance or, you know, the, as any, I say more than puncher's chance, just a, um, you know, average chance. Um, but you know, with the, with the Astros and having the rotation depth that they do and the, you know, I think the A's and, and Ray's are better problem solvers than the Indians when it comes to making up gaps in the rotation, um, I just see too many hurdles for them. I think they should do better than the Ron Gardenhire era where they just uh, flamed out immediately. I think they have more depth to their offense and, and can bash with anybody, so I think that'll help. But when it comes to pitching and, and, and piecing together nine innings uh, night after night against the same opponent, I think you know other teams can do it better.
0: Yeah, I think they should be able to snap their postseason losing streak. It's like, what, 11 or 12 straight postseason games they've lost? Something like that, yeah. All to the Yankees, it feels like, Uh, which is kind of funny. We'll talk about the postseason race later in the show as we are waiting for some scoreboard updates to update you, our listeners, on what the Major League Baseball postseason race looks like as we enter the final 10 games of the regular season. Uh, But, you know, back to the White Sox here. After Monday's show, we got word that Lucas Giolito was shut down for a mild lat strain. And then the next day, Dylan Covey is shut down for the season with shoulder soreness. Not great news for Giolito because uh, it's been so much fun to watch him pitch. There's nothing to sweat about the injury. It's just I would have liked to seen him two more times uh, in 2019 and you know It's a great taste. Uh, it was very fun to watch him make this tremendous progress in 2019. Uh, it's just a little sad and bittersweet we're not going to watch him start again in 2020. And hopefully all the good vibes from this season carry over to next season. The good news is that we don't have to watch Dylan Covey pitch again, uh, at least this season, Uh, But Jim, the current status is that the White Sox have three starting pitchers right now. Uh, And typically teams like to run with five. And like I said, there's about 10 games remaining in this season. So who's going to start these final 10 games for the White Sox? Well,
2: Ross Detweiler is the most solid option for a fourth starting job, just because he doesn't walk the kind of guys that Hector Santiago walks and Carson Fulmer walks and, can get through five a lot easier than those guys can. So he would be your bet for uh, the the obvious fourth. I think Santiago would be the fifth just because, you know, Banuelos isn't pitching uh, and he's the only other guy with, uh, you know, on the active roster with four inning credentials. So it's going to be Santiago and probably Fulmer teaming up with him on a start, you know, keeping him fresh for, uh, to cover two to three innings. And then it's just going to be patching together bullpen guys and, trying to get, uh, two innings out of guys who normally go one and trying not to have too many guys go back to back to back. And, <laughs> you know, these, these close games, uh, and, and, you know, having just a series of them, uh, especially like that, that Seattle series hurt just because they had two, five run leads and couldn't actually close it out comfortably. They had to use their, you know, Aaron Bummer and, and Alex Colomay, and they had to keep going back to them. Uh, that, that's, I think what is really, uh, it's really difficult about this stretch is not only are they having starting problems up top, but no matter w- whether the offense shows up or whether it doesn't, the games are always close and the high leverage guys are always needed. So that's going to be the, the challenge for Renteria is just trying to string together eight innings that don't involve Bummer, Colomane, Marshall every single day.
0: Now the opener idea held up today with the Von Nova throwing one inning, on usually his bullpen day. Uh, to prepare for his next start, which he is scheduled to be the starter on Saturday in Detroit. And then Jace Fry and Carson Fulmer, they kept the Twins hitless for five innings. And uh, geez, Jim, I I really don't know why you didn't think of this idea sooner, (laughs) why you never suggested the idea of the White Sox using the opener, because tonight it was pretty successful. Yeah,
2: it's not quite an opener. It's more of a bullpen day, just because the opener involves the second pitcher going for, you know, one full turn through the lineup, maybe two. If you get, yeah, I would say at least one full turn. Yeah, and just no, I mean, take like, a gem. This is your moment for vindication. It's closest, <laughs> it's like I, I want to shove them. Like, keep going. <laughs> like, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> you know, because I, I just had a fear that you know if Jace Fry would you know have it blow up and say, well, this is why we don't use the opener. And it's no, that's why you don't use Jace Fry as the second pitcher. So, but it did work, and it's just like this is the kind of idea. Now you just need like you know Santiago or Detweiler. You know, having. One of those guys, yeah. You know, like I wouldn't mind seeing, like say, say on a Santiago start, like having Carson Fulmer pitch first, followed by Santiago just because he's better at going three to four innings than Fulmer is. Like that would be more of an opener structure. And if you're going to go with the bull, you know, bullpen day anyway, try that. You know, try having Fulmer go one, maybe two innings at the first inning is easy. Have Santiago start his start when he's uh, facing the eighth and ninth hitters in the lineup and see where it goes um yeah that's really the whole idea and you know this is their the closest they've ever come to it and it worked and it beat the odds and that's the whole idea with you know watching the rays and the a's and the in the yankees when they've had you know massive rotation issues is this is what the opener does it allows you to beat the odds when you don't have a name brand starter on your side and um i I really hope you know in this last two weeks and all these uh you know crises with the rotation that it just allows the White Sox to do this without
0: whatever shame they feel that's been stopping them from doing it all this time. Yeah, Carson Fulmer pitched two and a third scoreless innings, didn't allow a hit. He didn't strike out anyone or he didn't walk anyone, but it was a pretty clean seven outs from Carson Fulmer. Jim, uh, is this the best we've seen from Fulmer?
2: Oh, he had those starts in his first year where he just felt like he was putting it together and then it all fell apart. But this is like, I would say, maybe it's not the best Fulmer, but it's what I think the White Sox want Fulmer to be. Or I guess like what they want him to revert to is a guy that gets it over the plate and lets the life on his pitches get hitters out. And they just, you know, a lot of grounders and, and not a lot of swings and misses, but just really nothing much in the way of firm contact like you saw in later innings against Marshall and Bummer and Colome, where there are a bunch of ropes all around the diamond, like Fulmer kept him in check. And all he was doing was keeping it simple and, and just uh, throwing strikes and letting the movement take it off the middle of the plate. And that's, I think, uh, what the White Sox have wanted from him all along. And I think he's entering the stretch where this could be the last uh, well, this this could be the last time he's under White Sox control um, in, uh, yeah, during a regular season. We'll see him in spring training, and I think uh, the White Sox will really think long and hard about what they're going to do in spring training, and whether they want to carry him or risk losing him to waivers if they have to try to send him down to Charlotte, and mm-hmm. you know, he might leave. But uh, this is a big period for him in his White Sox future, so if he can, you know, given these uh, all these emergencies, this would be as good a time as any for him to show up and show some value and, and, and string together... A few of these, the problem with Fulmer is like every time he has one good game, he comes out the next game, throws uh, 10 of his first 12 pitches out of the zone and leaves a mess for the next guy following him. And uh, the White Sox never see the same guy twice. So uh, I think when you when you look at the uh, the road ahead and, and just the the mess that is the bullpen, like, you know, Santiago's been staying around, Detweiler's been staying around, Jose Ruiz has been, uh, you know, a mess. Kelvin Herrera's just trying to get across the finish. Like a bunch of these guys are just mainly counting down the days until they're out of the system you know is nova's a guy who's going to be free agent after the year but fulmer is one of the few guys who can really change um how people
0: perceive him going into next year's job hunt moving over to the offense uh tim anderson yoren Makata, and aloy jimenez uh they all had a good series uh, anderson went six or 15 with a home run Makata went six for 13 with three doubles jimenez went six for 13 he also hit a home run uh, so great series from those three. They all had six hits uh, during the three games. Uh, Anderson only played two games in the series and still came away with six hits. Uh, it, it, the last 30 days for these three hitters, uh, Tim Anderson's hitting 385 with a 396 on base percentage, slugging 593. He's just been crazy hot. And he's got a sizable lead for the American League batting title. I believe he's Taken over Anthony Rendon of the Washington Nationals for the major league lead in batting average in 2019. Yohan Mercado in his last 30 days is hitting 342 with a 386 on base percentage slugging 581. And uh, Aloy is hitting 317 with a 354 on base percentage and slugging 577. All three of these hitters are hitting the ball very well, especially the last 30 days. And it's getting people excited, Jim. There's one problem despite these three playing so well, the White Sox are 11 and 19 during this 30 day stretch. Uh, is there more dead weight as in bad players on this roster than we thought? Because if you had all three of these hitters hitting so well, one would think the White Sox would at least be hovering around 500 during this stretch. Oh,
2: certainly. I, I wouldn't, when, when I think you'd try to, uh, drill down or or try to sum up the White Sox depth issues. I think the two things you point to is the White Sox always going back to Dylan Covey as a starter and starting Ryan Goins in right field when he's OPSing 500 and something over uh, since August. Like, you know, there's a point early on in his uh, White Sox career where he was hitting better than anybody and drawing more walks than anybody. And sure, you ride the hot hand or, or the hot bat as long as you can because nobody else is hitting, but when Ryan Goins looks like Ryan Goins and the same Ryan Goins that couldn't stick with the, the Royals and the rebuilding Blue Jays team and came to the Sox in a minor league deal and spent the whole year in Charlotte and he looks like the same Ryan Goins all along and suddenly he's the best option in right field, a position he's never played any meaningful amount of time, then yeah, that, that shows just the the uh, depth of emergency that the White Sox have, so yeah, it, it's a problem and, and it's basically what, what uh sidetracked the last last rebuild is just having a really good core and then a bunch of guys who take away from that really good core or if they're average cost a prohibitive amount to be average. Um, you know, no good bargains to be found outside of the bargain contracts that Rakon signed them to. Um and when you talk about Mankata, I think, you know, we we've been following Abreu's RBI chase and Anderson's batting title chase, but you Mankata's batting three twelve. <laughs> I know. That that's that's nuts to like he yeah you know, if he told me last year that mancato would be batting 312 in an, an honest one you know not just a completely lucky i mean he's he's got some batting average uh, balls and play luck but he's also hitting the ball really hard he's cut down his strikeouts he's uh he, he's not walking much he's just doing it all with his bat and he's batting 312 with this hit tool um that's incredible and that's a whole lot more progress in one year than i thought we would ever see from him. i thought it'd be an incremental fight where he'd be frustrating you'd have hot weeks followed by bad ones i was hoping for maybe 250 260 this year and 312 an honest 312 so yeah i uh that that's staggering to me and I, I hope that you know one he hits over 300 the rest of the season he doesn't have some kind of massive slump that takes him away from it and uh two just uh i i hope that even if anderson wins the batting title we uh, appreciate just the massive jump in average because we've seen you know, Anderson hit 300 in the minors. Moncada's always had the contact issues, undermining his ability to hit for a consistently high average, and he's doing it uh,
0: way faster than anybody thought. Yeah, last year in 2018, Yuan Moncada hit 235 with a 315 on base percentage, slugging 400. His season stats now... 312 with a 365 on base percentage slugging 540 that's a 77 point increase in batting average that's a 50 point increase in on base percentage and that's a 140 point increase on the slugging percentage and with their best friend of the show Dan Zaborski on Fangraphs writing his 2019 recap on the White Sox and he mentioned it on uh, his most recent visit to the Sox Machine podcast, Zips likes Yoan Mikata. Dan Zaborski just doesn't want to jinx Yoan Machado because every time Dan says that Yoan Machado is about to break out, uh, Mikata either gets hurt or he goes on a slump. So I appreciate not jinxing one of the best players of the White Sox at the moment. Um, and Zips really likes Lucas Giolito. So I, I think those are two big positives. And I do think that this is one of those players that's not having a fluke year, Jim. I think Yohan Mikata has seriously figured out the holes in his swing. And we talked about it on a Monday show, even from the right side as well. And he did strike out a little bit more in this series. Uh, quite a few strikeout looking. Uh, but he's still somebody that when there are runners on base, I think I want Mikata to be the guy in a key situation for the White Sox, Jim especially when he's batting left-handed because he hits the ball so hard and he's making such good contact that, you know, he's someone that can continue that rally for the White Sox, whether it's, you know, the, the three doubles that he has in this series, he's got 32 doubles now on the season, despite missing some time or he still has the power to just crush home runs.
2: Yeah. LA up there too. I think both of them, the way they're, hitting the ball really hard to all fields and punishing mistakes. I think that's the biggest uh, improvement with Jimenez is that before when he was facing more sliders and and more good sliders, I should say, than he's ever seen in his life and was really tested by major league pitchers and frustrated by them probably for the first time in his professional career. uh, He, he missed a lot of mistakes. Um, Just he was off in terms of timing. He was guarding, against sliders when fastballs came or you know, looking for fastballs when the sliders came. And even if they were hung over the plate and spinning, a lot of times you just uh, roll them over or pop them up or swing through them just because he wasn't ready for the speed and his balance wasn't there and all that. But now he's he's hitting mistakes. He can still expand his zone. He can still uh, chase fastballs up or uh, sliders down. But when they're leaving pitches in the zone and with these you know bullpen games and, and uh Shorter, shorter starter outings, and especially uh, expanded rosters in September, where you see more relievers who maybe aren't traditional major league quality. They're going to leave pitches in the zone, and he's crushing them now. and And he's not uh, he's not overdoing it. He's not um, you know selling out for anything. It's just balanced swings, line drives, uh, and uh, sometimes they go to the park, but he hits them with enough uh, velocity to where it's hard for fielders to catch up with them. So uh, both of those guys hitting the ball hard. That helps to make up for the you know the the walk and strikeout issue just because you know as we we've heard with exit velocity and as as Benetti and Steve Stone are very good at talking about when it comes explaining exit velocity is just that it allows you to get hits with with, uh, with uh, launch angles and in uh, uh, directions to where you know some hits wouldn't happen uh, the expected batting averages are very high and. When you look at some of these guys having high batting averages on balls in play, it, you know sometimes it's fluky, but you know, but in the case of, you know, Tim Anderson using all fields and hitting the ball hard to all fields, and uh, Moncada doing it, and Jimenez now starting to do it, these are legit, and they help to make up for the
0: lack of walks. Also notable offensively, Zach Collins hit a couple home runs in this series. Uh, Adam Engel also hit a home run. Adam Engel starting to hit the fastball a lot better this month. Uh, I, I don't don't get any crazy ideas about Adam Engel being a starting position player for the White Sox in 2020 because that, that's the case. Something went way wrong this upcoming offseason for the White Sox. Uh, but it's nice to see uh, the White Sox get some offensive production in the bottom half of the order. Uh, Collins was getting picked on Wednesday night, Jim. Uh, with the pitches up in the zone, and he got a couple strikeouts there, but uh, found a changeup that was low in the zone and took it out dead center field. And now he's got three home runs in his career, and is a rookie season with the White Sox. Batting average is still not pretty. I don't think because of his initial start uh, with the White Sox, he's going to be able to recover from the batting average perspective. But it's nice to see him get the ball out of the ballpark.
2: Yeah, it's going to be a battle for him to cover all the spots in the zone especially as pitchers get more precise and and hitting those those cold zones that he has especially uh anything with velocity up but uh considering I guess our expectations for Collins before the season and the amount of work he had to do and adjustments he's had to make and still trying to catch hit a couple more weak moments behind the plate letting a couple of balls get past him it it's going to be a struggle for him all, t- all the time and it's just a matter for him is not letting cold weeks bad nights behind the plate get to him as long as he's going to be catching and and, uh, he's shown some some resilience early in his career um, especially this year uh, between uh, unsuccessful stints in Chicago and and going back and forth but uh, he's doing better than I thought and, and he deserves some measure of credit for that even if it's still
0: hard to peg him in as a solution for any one roster spot yet. Well, the White Sox move on. They don't face the Minnesota Twins anymore in 2019 and won't face the Twins again until 2020 as the White Sox just have three series left and two of them are against the worst team in Major League Baseball, the Detroit Tigers. And speaking of the Tigers, that's who the White Sox will play next as we'll preview the final road series of the 2019 season. But first, a word from our sponsor, SeatGeek. Do you ever feel like ticketing websites make getting to the event difficult on purpose? It's as if they're so big they can get away with not caring about the customer experience. And they don't care if their site's annoying to shop on or they don't have tickets to the event that you want. And the real question is, how easy could it be if those ticketing sites actually cared Well, with millions of live event tickets and a price match guarantee, SeatGeek proves there's a better way to buy tickets. You can search for sports, live music, comedy, and more. SeatGeek has the tickets you are looking for all in one place. In an industry that tends to stagnate, SeatGeek decided to stand out from the crowd. They built the fastest way to find tickets so you can stop searching for the perfect seat and you can start enjoying it. And I use SeatGeek all the time to buy tickets, looking at some ticket prices for the White Sox, if final home stretch. They have three games against the Indians. They have four games against the Tigers. Friday's a doubleheader. There's some really good deals to see the White Sox one last time in 2019 before we really miss watching baseball. And I use SeatGeek because they have great deals and every purchase is fully guaranteed. And the best part of using SeatGeek is that they'll give you $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. All you have to do is just download the SeatGeek app onto your smartphone and use promo code Machine. That's promo code Machine for $10 off your first purchase on SeatGeek.
1: When you rely on the internet for everything, you need speed that can handle anything. Xfinity delivers Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today. Restrictions apply. Gig Wi-Fi requires gig speed and compatible X-Fi gateway. Actual speeds vary, not guaranteed. And again,
0: the Chicago White Sox, their final road series of 2019 is in Detroit. And the Detroit Tigers are currently 45 and 106. Ooh, boy. The last ten games for the Tigers, they are three and seven, and for the season series, the White Sox lead it eight games to four. Your pitching problems in this series Friday night, six ten PM Central Time, it is Dylan Cease against Jordan Zimmerman. On Saturday at five ten PM Central Time, it is Ivan Nova against Tyler Alexander. And on Sunday at twelve ten PM Central Time, it is Ronaldo Lopez against Matthew Boyd. Jim. For this series between the White Sox and Tigers, I have to think, we talked a little bit about this on Monday's show, I would like to see Dylan Cease make two more starts. But with Lucas Giolito being shut down, with Dylan Covey being shut down, could Friday be Dylan Cease's last start of the season? I don't think so. I think they're going to need him. Like, (laughs) maybe if he has like a really
2: awful outing and just looks like he's done for the year. Um, if he can't solve his issues against Detroit, then yeah, maybe, but he's had success against Detroit so far. And if he turns into good five innings, I imagine they'll want him to go a good five innings or, you know, maybe they'll do what they do with the minor league pitchers at the end of the year where they have him go three, you know, one turn through the lineup and then call it a season, but it seems like they're going to need him for some form of innings, even if they don't, you know, max him out to a hundred pitches every single time out. But you, know, you mentioned the Tigers and the, and the AL central, a couple of things. One is that you know the White Sox finishing third <laughs> yeah, I, last year. They were supposed to finish ahead of the Tigers uh, and and the Royals and finish third last year, and they didn't. So uh, in this case, I would say that uh, you can't take a third place finish for granted after what happened in 2018. So there's that. Also, did, do you know what the uh, Tigers' record is against the Indians this year? It's like
0: one and eighteen.
2: Yeah, seventeen and one. The Indians went seventeen and one against the Tigers this year. <laughs> a run differential of seventy-one runs. Wait, what? I mean, yep, seventy-one runs, one hundred eight to, uh, no, one hundred nine to uh, thirty-eight.
0: The the Tigers only scored thirty-eight runs in eighteen games against the Cleveland Indians. Yeah, <laughs> so seventeen and one outscored one hundred eight to one hundred nine to thirty-eight. You might as well just call up the Toledo Mudheads at this point and replace the Detroit Tigers. I mean, seriously, we talk about war and people ask, you know, what does war mean? And when you look at a replacement level team. I mean the Tigers have to be pretty close to that mark right it's at like yeah, 42 I think yeah I think
2: 45 wins or something yeah something in the low 40s is uh, the replacement level team right
0: so yeah they're they're really close they're just slightly above a zero what a zero war team would be in a season yeah 42 wins over the course of the season uh it, I mean it's bad. And when you look at their rebuild compared to the White Sox rebuild, I mean, we spent a lot of time being upset last year that the White Sox finished 62-100. and The Tigers are not even going to come close to that this year. They may not even win 50 games this season. And when you look at the Tigers' rebuild, I mean, they drafted Riley Green. I thought that was a really good pick. And they have some really good starting pitchers. But I feel, Jim, you know, with the Tigers – they're really far away and now there's some murmurs coming out of Detroit uh that they may sell the franchise soon uh following the suit of the Kansas City Royals so there could be new owners coming to Detroit and we don't exactly know what that would bring until we know who actually ends up buying the team of course uh but I feel Detroit's really really far away like maybe five years away from being competitive. Do you feel the same way about the Tigers? It's possible just because they're battling
2: some of the uh, obstacles that the White Sox, self-imposed obstacles that the White Sox are dealing with. Like they are sticking with Al Avila. They're, um, you know, they're the Illiches or the younger Illiches really don't have the spending habits or passion of their father. They seem a lot more bottom line oriented and, and just trying to get out from under you know, Miguel Cabrera's contract that got out from under Justin Verlander's contract, but you know, that you know, seeing how well he's pitched in in Houston, he wasn't the problem. Uh, but they, they don't really seem to have the you know appetite or will to shake things up. And maybe you know the sale does make sense if they're just trying to you know they're not getting all concerned about hiring new guys and finding new decision makers to trust if they're not going to be there that long. So it would make some sense that they're not uh, shaking things up. Um, kind of like the the Royals of Dayton Moore, you know, just kind of sticking with him, even if their rebuild, uh, looks like a really tough haul themselves, but that's really the biggest blessing for the White Sox is just having two teams in the same division that are, you know, I would say at least two years behind them in terms of rebuilding. So even if, uh, you know, they're, they're going to struggle to catch up with, uh, Cleveland Minnesota, they have a good tailwind behind them in the uh, division to at least give them some upward mobility, um, other divisions can't say the same thing. Like you look at the NL Central and the AL East and and, and the NL West and these divisions where you have three or four teams that you can move in the Central and they'd be contenders. Um, it's it's really a blessing and it's it's also like a rather indicative of just how poorly the White Sox have been managed that they can't take advantage of that environment. But that environment remains there and it's there for the White Sox to take advantage of it and hopefully, you know they're they're able to. You know one keep this core healthy and productive but also break their massive slump in free agency and outside acquisitions and actually um, you know as Rick Khan loves to say, augment this team because this team will need additions and uh, if they can you know catch fire like catch half the luck and, and good fortune that the Minnesota twins had this year um, you could put them in the 85 to you know, 89
0: win conversation and then from there luck will get you maybe to the uh, wild card spot. Maybe the White Sox in 2020 can finish seventeen and one against Detroit. <laughs> yeah. Well,
2: at this current pace, you mentioned uh, their, their climb getting from fifth to fourth place to now in a third, you know, if they keep this current pace, they'll get to the top of the division in nine years. but hopefully they'll uh, be <laughs> able to uh, to, uh, you know that that uh, that purgatory in fourth place, maybe this will be their kind of launching pad
0: out of that. Oh man. That would be season 16 for us, Jim, where we'll finally talk about a uh, a winning, a AL Central Division winning White Sox team if they continue this pace that you just mentioned. And it would be even longer for you covering the team since their last postseason berth. So let's not have that happen. Let's make that happen sooner for the White Sox. But speaking of the MLB postseason, that's where we'll end this edition of Sox Machine Live. Just quickly taking a look at the postseason picture as we head into the weekend. In the American League, the number one seed is now the Houston Astros. They have passed the New York Yankees for home field advantage. And they would face the winner of the wild card, which right now Oakland would be hosting the wild card. And a bit of a surprise, uh, as the Tampa Bay Rays had a tough series, they went out to face Los Angeles Dodgers uh, in sunny L.A., and because of that, and with Cleveland continue to beat up Detroit, Cleveland will have a half game lead, uh, as we are currently streaming this as the Dodgers are leading the race six to four in the ninth inning. So Cleveland would have a half game lead over Tampa, uh, for that wild card spot on the final spot of the postseason. So it looks like the shift in the American league postseason is a race between Tampa and Cleveland. We talked about the Minnesota twins trying to uh, break their postseason losing streak, uh, on the bottom half of the bracket, number two seed New York against number three seed Minnesota. So right now, Twins fans are looking to have another five game series against the New York Yankees. We'll see if they can win one game, <laughs> rather than uh, see if they could actually pull off up the upset and win the series. Over in the National League, the Los Angeles Dodgers still have a firm grip, a home field advantage throughout the National League as the number one seed. And then it gets really interesting with the wild card. The Washington Nationals have hit a rut. And as of right now, they are just a half game ahead of the Milwaukee Brewers and the Chicago Cubs in the wild card. So now you have a three-team race, a dead heat for the National League wild card between the Washington Nationals, the Milwaukee Brewers, and the Chicago Cubs. And then the bottom half—it's the number two seed Atlanta Braves and the number three St. Louis Cardinals. The Cardinals have a little bit of breathing room in the National League Central. They have a three-game lead over the Cubs and the Brewers at the moment. Uh, but Jim, as I mentioned, here we go—last ten games of the season. This has been shifting every time we talk about this on a show. Uh, we got two tight races for the wild card: Tampa and Cleveland. And then you got Washington, Chicago, and Milwaukee in the National League. What jumps out at you as a, as a as a surprise of where we currently sit with ten games remaining? No real surprises, just because I think I've lost
2: the capacity to be surprised uh, based on the way the last month has gone. With the especially the National League, but just uh, it, it seems like no team is really safe aside from the Braves and uh, and, and Dodgers. But the Cardinals and Cubs play each other seven times mm-hmm. over the next ten days. So that's going to be fun. That's going to be That will be fun. That's going to be torture for those two teams and their fan bases, especially say if uh oh well, I mean the Cardinals I think can uh you know if they can take a couple of the first two it might demoralize the Cubs enough to where the middle three games uh you know in between series might not really uh you know might might settle it from there but if uh the Cubs draw even that's going to be uh terrible <laughs> it's going to be it's going to be terrible for them like in, but it's going to be for for somebody like me who cares, uh, it doesn't care much for either team. I just like seeing uh, seeing the agony and uh, frustration and pain and, and terror just kind of bubble up uh, and, and overflow. And I think that can happen. So I'm just rooting for pure chaos <laughs> the, the rest of the way, especially with with the American League. I, I basically I'm just rooting for oakland to host a home game just because i really like those home oakland crowds Um, especially in the playoffs when they when they fill the coliseum it's a crowd that you don't see anywhere else in baseball and i root for that Um, but uh, when it comes to the national league i just want
0: every team tied on the final day of the season yeah because i don't like washington milwaukee's or chicago's odds beating the dodgers in a five-game series
2: yeah, it's it's easier though in a 5 game series than a 7 game series.
0: True. I just still don't like their odds. The Braves yeah. and Cardinals are like opposite of each other. Atlanta's got a really strong offense. St. Louis offense is not that strong. Atlanta has one of the weakest bullpens in Major League Baseball. St. Louis has one of the strongest bullpens in all of Major League Baseball. So that would be a fun series if that happens. We talk about home runs all the time this year. Nobody's hitting more home runs than the Yankees and Twins. So who knows, maybe the over-under would be five home runs per game uh, between those two teams. Uh, So if you love home runs, I mean, the Yankees-Twins series is right up your alley. But as Jim said in the last 10 games of the regular season, if you're looking for a race to watch other than trying to keep an eye on the white side, Definitely pay attention to what happens between the St. Louis Cardinals and the Chicago Cubs as they do face each other seven more times. And there's so much that's riding on for both teams, not only in the National League Central, but also uh, depending on how that series goes. Uh, if the Brewers continue to stay hot, whoever comes on out of the, the bottom half of that seven-game series may not make the postseason. So, really interesting stuff. We'll keep tabs on it and we'll update you on the postseason picture on. Monday socks machine podcast but that will do it for this edition of socks machine live thank you guys so much for listening to the live stream on mixler.com slash socks machine if you don't get an opportunity to listen to the live stream no worries every socks machine live is recorded and uploaded into the podcast feed which you can subscribe to the podcast via apple Podcasts, spotify stitcher Google Podcasts and AudioBoom.com slash Sox Machine. Socks Machine Live is a production of SocksMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening.
1: When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet.